0: Well, good morning, everybody, or whatever time of day this video finds you. Uh, I am Tom Desmond. I'm one of the pastors here at Springbrook Church, and I'm really grateful that um, we are able to be together, uh, at least digitally, even if we can't be together personally. And so right now we're on uh, week number two of our coronavirus exile, where we cannot gather in large groups so I've been putting together some videos uh, to, to continue to walk through God's Word on Sunday mornings, and I hope uh, that you will uh, grow, continue to grow in Christ through this, this unusual time. Um, so today, we're just going to jump right on into this. Um, we're going to be in Isaiah 41, and just continuing our series here at Springbrook through the book of Isaiah. And and I'm just so grateful, honestly, for where we are in this book and how it lands so timely for us right now as a church and as a culture. And I hope that it will encourage you as well. So Isaiah 41 is um, a really timely passage because it's all about fear. It's all about how we engage and trust the Lord in our fears. And I think this is really timely because as a culture, as a nation, as really a world, we are just in this crazy season of of fear. And I know that for most of us, the fear is not necessarily in whether or not we'll catch the virus or uh, in anything health-related. Perhaps for some of you, that is where you are afraid. Uh, if you are you know, vulnerable to this virus, I can understand that completely. But I think all of us, regardless of whether we're at high risk or not of, of catching this, this virus, uh, we are all, I think, a little bit gripped with fear. And this, this sort of stood out to me this, this week, just a few days ago, I went to Walmart to get a few things um, that we were just looking to fill you know, the pantry with. I mean, we're doing fine. We got a lot of food, uh, but we, we just wanted to grab a couple of extra things. And uh, one of those things was bread. One of those was like um, a can of uh, diced tomatoes, you know, nothing, nothing crazy. Uh, but I, So I went to Walmart and I saw uh, the bread aisle was completely empty, completely empty. And uh, so I was like, well, okay, no bread, Uh, went over to the canned goods section, and the whole aisle is just jammed with people, and everybody is just filling their carts with whatever's left, just picking over the rest of it. And and then I went over to uh, the, the paper goods aisle, and lo and behold, there's no paper goods to be found in the store, just giant empty shelves. And then I went to the back to the to eggs and that kind of thing, and no eggs. It's just very crazy. But it highlighted to me this reality that people are afraid. And we're afraid of not having enough food. We're afraid of not being able to provide for our families. These are legitimate fears in some way, but we, um, we, we're we just seeing how that fear is playing out in the form of um mass stocking up and and uh and hoarding uh of food and and those kind of things so whether that's good or bad or indifferent i'm not making any statement on that i'm just saying that we we clearly are as a people at this point in time being motivated by by some uh some uncertainty and so here's here's where the bible begins to speak into that issue you see uh in chapter 39 of Isaiah, God tells his people that they are going to uh, be hauled away and all their things are going to be stolen and many of them are going to die and they're going to be taken by the, by the king of Babylon and, and forced into slavery and servitude and forced away from their homes and that is a terrifying prospect. And and so after telling them these things, God gives them a couple of words of encouragement over the next chapters. In chapter 40, which we saw last week, you you see God extending comfort to his people um, to remind them of his goodness and sovereignty. In chapter 41, he begins to address the issue of their fears. And so as we just work through this text, we're actually only going to go through the first 20 verses today, and then next week we'll pick it up in verse 21. But through these first 20 verses, we see four truths that we need to bank our lives on as we live in uncertainty and even fear. We we have these truths in God's Word to anchor our souls to Him, and to be encouraged by him. So I want to just take us through, uh, as quickly as I can, through these four points, and and then we'll conclude uh, this video. So let's start by reading uh, verses 1 through 7, and these first seven verses lay out the first source of encouragement in the midst of fear that we're going to look at. It says, Listen to me in silence, O coastlands, Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. Now in those first seven verses, here's the the main point that God's trying to get across to his people. It's very important and foundational when we start to talk about our fears. And that is this, that God is the sovereign God of human history. That's what he's saying in these first seven verses. He's he's trying to let the people know that nothing is outside of his control that nothing is outside of his ability to shape and direct it. That human history itself is not um, just going on its own without God's direction and work. He, he says here that we are, well, he, he does this by asking a couple of questions. He does this by, in, in verses two through four, he lays out some questions. And, and the questions are, obviously answered in verse 4, which is this, who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. He says, so basically he's saying, who's done all this stuff that 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 I've been talking about? Who brings kings down and raises kings up? Who is the one who's moving the, the dial of human history? He, he says, I, I am. I'm the one who does that. God's going, I, I'm in charge of all of this, you guys. You do not need to be afraid because I'm in control. I'm, I've got this all under my sovereign hand. And so we're seeing this amazing thing that God is sovereign over human history. Now, listen, we need to hear that. Uh, See, We we can believe that theologically, but it's in moments like uncertainty and in moments of doubt and fear that we especially need to be grounded in the truth of God's sovereignty. That nothing happens that he is not aware of and that he cannot uh, control and bring about to his purpose. We need to see that. We need to cling to that. Otherwise, what's going to happen? We're just, we're going to freak out. We're going to just absolutely go nuts and go, okay, if I'm in control, or if some other group of people are in control, then there's a lot of fear and doubt. But if God's in control, then we know we can rest assured that what he does and, and how he accomplishes those things will be done well and lovingly and ultimately for our good. And we're going to see that uh, in just a few minutes elsewhere in the Bible. But God is sovereign over human history. He wants us to, to know that. And it's not a mistake that God starts with that before he even really talks about a whole lot of fear. But we start to get there. And and so we've got three more things to talk through in this passage. So let's move on. And I'm going to kind of bounce us between Isaiah and a couple of places in the New Testament to sort of round this all out. But let's look at verse 8 and 9 as our second. And I think this is the second foundational principle that we need to rest in before we even get to the issue of fear. But let's look at this. It says, "But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant." I have Chosen you, and not cast you off. the The emphasis in this, um, in these two verses, is this word, chosen. We can combat fear by understanding that God has chosen His people in Christ. He, he this, is, this is obviously written before Christ, right? But, but the principle that that is laid out here in Isaiah is repeated throughout the New Testament in, in Jesus's life as well as, um, in Paul's letters and in Peter's letters and basically all of them. They all lay out this truth that we do not have reason to fear because God has chosen us in Christ. Notice how he describes his people in verses 8 and 9. He he calls them his servant, but then he calls them his friend. And in and in between both of those, he says, "I have chosen you." I have chosen you. And at the end of verse 9 it says, "I have chosen you and not cast you off." It, it is the doctrine of God's sovereign love on his people that can steady our hearts so that we do not embrace fear. God has chosen us in Christ. And this is what Paul clearly teaches in Romans chapter 8. And if, as you get to Romans chapter 8, you know, we um, we are... Probably most of us are familiar with chapter 8, verse 28. It's one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible. And it says this, that we know for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. All right, so here we have this promise that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now, we use that verse uh, appropriately at times uh, to remind ourselves and others that the circumstances of life, though, though they may be difficult and challenging, we, we have assurance that God is using those things for His purposes and for our good. But But notice how when we get into v- verse 29 how Paul just doubles down on this. And he says this, that we know all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29 starts with this word for. You could also translate for to be the word because. So why does all things work together for good to those who love God? It is because, listen, those whom he foreknew... Foreknew is a word that means he loved us in advance. He loved us from all of eternity. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also Glorified. So again, we're seeing this happening in the scriptures where we, we do not um, we do not need to fear because all the things that are going on in the world are going to be used for good because God has chosen us. That's what Paul's saying. He uses words like predestined and called and etc., but that's what it all means. It means that he's chosen us in Christ. And, and then he goes further in verse 31. He says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And, and then in verse 30, look down at verse um, thirty. Four, uh, 5. It says, Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what Isaiah is conveying to his people. I have chosen you and I will not cast you off. God is saying to us here, you do not need to be afraid because I'm in control, I'm sovereignly ruling the universe, and I have specifically loved you and chosen you in my son Jesus. That's what God is saying to each of us today. So then, because of that, let's look at verse 10 of chapter 41 again. He says this, Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame And confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I make you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them, and you shall make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them and the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them, and you shall rejoice in the Lord. In the Holy One of Israel you shall glory. Now, this is really where we get to the, the meat and the heart of this passage. You, you heard it said numerous times, fear not, fear not. It's repeated throughout this section. He's saying don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm with you, because I strengthen you, and because I help you. He's saying we do not need to be afraid of the world or the circumstances around us. And remember the context of this passage. The context is that these people are hearing these words knowing that they are going to be hauled off to a foreign country and lose everything they have. They are dealing with things that we are not aware of and are so foreign to us. And yet God is in that context speaking to them and say, you don't need to be afraid. You know why? Because I am with you and I will help you and I will hold your hand, he says. He tells us in verse 13, I, the Lord your God, holds your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. So we see this encouragement. We see him laying out his sovereign rule of human history. We see him laying out his love for his chosen ones. And now we're seeing that God is an ever-present source of comfort for his people. God is an ever-present source of comfort no matter what your circumstances may be, no matter how challenging things might be, God is with you. He is for you. He is accomplishing all the things that he's accomplishing, and and he's doing these things for the good of his people, for you and for me, if we've trusted in Christ. He repeats numerous times that we are not to be afraid. Not because everything's going to magically work out, but because he's with us no matter what may come. No matter what may happen, he is with us. So that's the third point. God is an ever-present source of comfort. One more, one more, and then we will... um, Then we'll go to the New Testament for just a a few moments. Look at 17 through 20. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the Lord, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain and the pine together that they may see and know, may consider and understand together That the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. Here's the point that God is making in this final section of this, this portion it is that God is sovereign, He's chosen us, He's our ever present source of comfort, and He is our provider that God is the one who will provide for us what we need. Now, we need to recognize that this is a, um, this is both on two hands. One, a, um, a physical provision, and also, most importantly, a spiritual provision. So we're seeing here, um, First of all, that God will provide his people with their sustenance, with their, their need. That, that doesn't mean that there will not come a point where that physical provision stops, right? They, at some point, every one of us is going to die from something. And, and so there's a point in which we, we are going to be ushered out of this life into the next, And so our our ultimate hope is not staked in having enough food or water to survive here and now. Our ultimate concern is going to be our relationship with Jesus for eternity. And that is what we can be absolutely assured of, that he will provide that which we need. This imagery of water that he uses in verses 17 uh, and following is, is really an imagery of God's salvation and, 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 uh, and His uh, spiritual sustenance for His people. That It's not really promising here uh, that, that all of your physical needs are going to be met, although God will provide for your physical needs as long as He wills that. But that's not really what Isaiah is talking about. He's talking about our greatest need being salvation. And that is what Jesus provides for us who turn to him. He provides us with all that we need to have a spiritual and abundant life in him. We see these four truths in this passage that I hope the Lord will use to to reinforce in you a sense of peace and not fear. I hope that you will understand that the things we're living through right now are unique to us, but God is not shaken by them. God is not surprised by them. God is not unaware of them, and and he's working in and through them. He is sovereign over what's happening. He is faithful to those whom he has chosen. He is with us in Christ, and he is our provider of all things, Um, and, and we can rest in all of that. I want to just take you quickly to um, a story in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Um, Same story from two different points of view. Um, It's probably a familiar story to you. It's in Matthew 8 and Luke 8, which is interesting because the parallels don't always match up to the chapters quite like this. But in Matthew 8 and Luke 8, we read a short story about Jesus calming a storm. You're probably familiar with it. In in Matthew 8, it says this. This is verse 23 through 27. It says, When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? So in, in Matthew's account of this story, which is very similar to, to Luke's, but has a few different details, they, they go out into the, onto the lake. They're, they're rowing across the sea. These are, these are men who are well familiar with boats. They were fishermen, some of them were. And Jesus falls asleep and as he sleeps a storm comes up and and the disciples can't manage it. And so they freak out. They wake Jesus up and say hey you got to save us here we're going to die. And Jesus says why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Oh you of little faith. And then he calms the storm. Now I want to point out something that's very interesting, I think, from Luke's account of this. In Luke chapter 8, same story, but there's one very interesting difference in details. In verse 22 of Luke 8, it says, One day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And the windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marvelled, saying to him, saying to one another, "Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him?" So very similar stories, right? But um, the detail that's that's in Luke but not in Matthew is this, and I think we forget this: that Jesus is the one who told them to go out onto the lake. You, you, you see where I'm going with this? Jesus is the one who told the disciples, let's go onto the lake. Now, we could read that and go, well, Jesus obviously just didn't know that the storm was going to come. Why would he put them in danger, right? But let's be honest. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He sent his disciples into that storm. Why? Well, it was so that he could reinforce to them not only his power to to stop the wind and the storm, but also his presence with them in the storm. See, the same Jesus who was in that boat with those men is the same Jesus that we have in our lives now. And yes, Jesus may send us into storms, but he is always with us in those storms. So with that said, um, let me pray for us. Let me let me just pray for you as you sit at home or wherever you are watching this. And uh, and then we will we'll conclude this sermon for this week. And um, I hope that we'll be able to see each other again soon. It may be still some weeks before things settle down, but we will trust the Lord with all of that. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness to us in Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus is our sovereign and good Savior. We pray, Lord, now in uncertain times in in days that we're not familiar with, that you would steady our hearts, help us to rest in you. And we pray that your grace would go forward in us and would be working through us as we uh, walk this this journey together. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. Love you. Cannot wait to see you again. I hope this blesses you, and we will uh, we'll we'll continue to post uh, uh, videos online for as long as we have to be apart. So, with that said, we'll see you later. Hope you have a great week. Let me know if you need anything at all. God bless.